Dr. Dean Beckloff has been working as a counselor with students, families, kids, and teens for over 40 years. As the founder of the Beckloff Behavioral Health Center, Dr. Dean focuses on children and families that need a little extra help via counseling. Each week with Dr. Elizabeth Zach, we discuss all things family-related to help people create the positive family they want to build. Welcome to the Dr. Dean Show. Welcome to our show today. This is our maiden voyage, and we're just excited to be putting this on and putting it out there for people and the good folks who are trying to deal with parenting and how do we do it, and uh, we're just going to be trying to have different people on this show so that we can really explore and improve. That's what we want to do is improve. Today, we are so excited to have Dr. Zach, uh, Dr. Liz Zach. Dr. Zach works at our office. Uh, she's a psychologist. Uh, she works with uh, children. She works with teens. She works with adults. She's had experience working with elderly folks in counseling as well. She is absolutely stunning and fabulous. <laughs> And so I'm really looking forward to having a chat with her because really we're just going to be talking together. So um, let me introduce Dr. Zach at this point and thank, thank you. you for having me. Oh, thank you for being here too. Yeah, we're just really, pleasure. really excited to have you and your expertise. And the thing that I'm excited about is talking a little bit about something that you have an interest in and something that I Absolutely. have an interest in, which is the brain. Uh, the growing and developing brain of the child, and then how can we enhance their growth? I think, you know, from early on in my training, it was by the age of five, the kids' brains are done. They're already baked. All formed and baked. They're all baked. They're done. You don't have to worry about it. And now we know uh, from the research that Clearly, the brain of the child and the teen and the young adult is still growing and growing and growing, which can cause some issues, I think, in that development as well. One of our favorite people that both uh, Dr. Zach and I like is Dr. Siegel. Anything you want to say about Dr. Siegel? You know, I there, there are probably, it's kind of like Dave Letterman's top 10 list, there are probably... 10 parenting books that I think are fabulous. And he is, his, his research and his parenting guidance uh, is definitely, you know, would be in my top 10. Oh, um, absolutely. Yeah. He is just amazing in helping us understand exactly what you're talking about, how our kids' brains are developing, how they change and how they're changeable. And I think that's really as much as that can cause some challenges. I think that's where the hope is. Yes. There, you know, we we can teach and kids can learn. And, you know, from little bitty to, you know, our growing teens, there's so many opportunities for growth and learning. And, um, and, and you know, teaching, learning through the years, that is changing the brain of the child. Uh, from reading to writing to math, it's all changing that brain and helping the brain to mature. So it, it, we're really learning a lot more. And I think we're on the cutting edge. We're not there yet. I think we're going to be learning a whole lot more mm -hmm. about kids. You know, from my own personal experience, though, I have two kids uh, and one of them now is 33 and the other one is 29. And I noticed pretty early. Wow. 
there's a lot of difference between the two of them. Raised in the same family, Absolutely. same people, but widely different. And I thought, hmm, there's a lot to how we come built on this planet. How we are hardwired. Yeah, we got some art from things like read. Some kids are going to be, one of my kids was a reader, loved reading, Harry Potter, all of it. The other one, not so much. Although now as a young adult, she reads all the time. So uh, there's just mm -hmm. uh, unique differences in how they learn. Uh, and then I think also personality as well. Mm -hmm. Personality and temperament. Yep. I have two boys myself. I have a 17-year-old and a 14-year-old. And their personalities could be, they are polar opposites. Polar opposites. One is as social as you, you can be. <laughs> and the other one, not not as much. Yeah. And raised yeah. in the same home, the same, you know, genetics. And so it is very interesting how how our kids come you know come built and and we have to adapt we have to adjust there's no one size fits all parenting correct yeah and um so one of the things we want to hit on is a couple of things that really enhance growth and development of the brain in the growing child uh, that's really what we want to be taking a look at here is how do we enhance that growth and that development so that it's positive because unfortunately kids can go into life limping. It is true. They can get into adulthood and be limping. So how can we stimulate the growth of the child's brain so that they're able to manage emotions? That's a big one. Uh, and you know, when you've got a toddler screaming at the top of their lungs, ayah. I mean, I saw it's this tough. joke one time where the, the lady, this was on Facebook, she said, at times, they say you get superhuman strength <laughs> when, when you are under great stress. The other night, I ripped the cork out of the wine bottle with my teeth during my child's tantrum. So, you know, stress, <laughs> stress is hard on us. And when it's that child is screaming yeah. Yeah. and yelling, uh, it's hard to regulate ourselves Absolutely. too. So what do we do with a kiddo? who's young, how about when they're in middle, you know, the middle years of, of elementary school, what are some of the things that you have found that you like mm -hmm. from Dr. Siegel and others who are out there? You know, I think it, it first starts with maybe redefining how we look at discipline. You know, we, when we're working with families and they come in and one of the questions we ask is how do you discipline your child? And you know, nine times out of 10, it, it's some sort of punishment, right? It's a timeout. It's a taking the device. It's a, uh, you know, no, stop that. And if we, if we kind of look at discipline less about gaining compliance in the short term, which we want to do, that's, we, we need kids to comply. But if we look at discipline more in terms of teaching mm -hmm. yes, to gain long-term growth to build that those brain connections so that the next time and the next time and the next time they have changed their behavior. You said something that I think we really need to emphasize is that we can help the brain to change by how we interact in these kinds of situations that we can assist the child to actually grow synapses that helps them to get to what we 
call, and this is taking it from Dr. Siegel, the upper brain, that prefrontal cortex right there sure. where they learn how to manage, manage those emotions. And so there's ways of helping them to get there. Right, yeah. right. I think that's that's such an excellent point. You know, we we tend to when when we're struggling, you know, it comes from a place of the lower brain, right? The reptilian brain. And that's where the the reactive, the big yelling, the screaming, the fits, the tantrums um, comes from. Yeah. And we have to, you know, our goal, I think, in in parenting and disciplining is helping the child go from that place of of reactivity to the upper brain right, which is more of a place of responsivity, right? That's where they learn to problem solve, to reason, to regulate, to have empathy. And there's ways to go about doing that. Yes. And, and I think it, it is important to note, um, you know, as much as we want the kid to get to that place of upper brain and, and responding rather than reacting, parents have to get there too. Yes, I, absolutely. You know, there's so much here. One of the things that I think you have said in the past to me is that the word discipline itself, doesn't it mean Disciple to means to teach. To Teacher. teach. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to teach. Mm -hmm. So it is about teaching. Uh, it's hard, but, you know, when that kid is dysregulated, let me just put it that way. They're, they're crying, they're yelling, they're tantruming even at two and three of course um what's a parent to do you know i think it, it do you pull starts, the cork out of the wine you bottle pull the cork teeth. and you run into your other room to get away you take your own time out <laughs> which you might have to do actually yeah is there a, is there a way to engage with the child that will facilitate them doing that kind of learning where they're moving from what's called the lower brain, sometimes it's called the reptilian brain, and I'm sure many of you have heard that, up to that prefrontal cortex. Absolutely. Dr. Siegel talks about, you know, a model of, of initially connecting. That's step one. You, you want the child to know um, that they're being heard, that you're there for them. You, you don't like the behavior, but you love the child. Yes. And as much as they're throwing a fit or they're, they're struggling in some way, we, we have to be there for the kiddo. And, you know, I, I always use the metaphor of, you know, if a child is learning how to ride a bike, and they are falling off and they're crying and they're upset and they don't know how to do it, it's a sign that they're still building the skills and, and you run alongside them and you kiss the boo-boos yes. and you encourage and it's awful for you knowing that they're about to you know veer off, but you keep going and you, you as a parent love on that kid and continue to encourage. So you're saying it's not okay to scream and yell at them when they fall down on the bicycle? You probably probably won't get a lot of, of uh, you know, bike riding happening with that. But I think a tantrum or a, a struggle in some sort of, of behavior is a sign that the kid is still building those skills. And we have to love and encourage and kiss the boo-boos, the emotional boo-boos, just like, you know, if they're riding the bike. So it's about building skills. It's about building skills and connecting. And how do you do that? How do you do the connecting piece? 
that you were talking about? Mm-hmm. The first, you know, I always talk about, you know, when a child is struggling, you know, showing that empathy and it could be just initially a gentle touch. Okay. It could be um, a hug if uh-huh. there will be receptive to that. When my kids, yeah, when they're yelling, they may not be they very may not receptive. Be receptive to it. And and that is fair. I know when my kiddos um, were little, you know, I would always think, you know, if if they're getting big, I'm going to get little, right? Oh. So I might get on my knees if they're on a couch, get on my knees and just touch their touch their knees, or just a gentle sort of way to sort of lower the emotional intensity. Uh-huh. Yes, I think just connecting by touch. And then showing some empathy, right? So, you know, letting them know that you understand their feeling. You don't necessarily agree with their feeling, (laughs) but you can share that, you know, they are very upset right now. And do you do that with words? You do that with words. Okay. You you initially, I think you can do that non-verbally and then you connect with your words, yeah. right? You're feeling very upset that your little brother took your toy. Yeah. You're really yeah. upset right now. I think that people worry, especially with a very young child, they may not get it verbally, but my opinion is you need to do the verbalizations. You need to talk. Uh, I'm an old school teacher. I used to teach school and you know, I, I would introduce language that my kids weren't Mm -hmm. really old enough to know, but I would put it in context over and over Mm -hmm. again. That's learning and growing the the brain that I think is really, uh, interesting about language. And we get this from our speech and language, uh, people in their research that language is the key to getting up here. It helps the kid to get here and brings them up there. And then they're learning what these words mean. So I guess I'm a proponent Mm -hmm. of early using these words that are about emotions like fear and uh, crabby. I'm kidding. (laughs) But fear, anger, mad, sad. Obviously, with a small child, you'll want to use more developmentally appropriate words. But Mm -hmm. is that where you come from as well? Absolutely. I think the research shows that, you know, part of that going from lower brain to upper brain is, is, is enhancing a kid's emotional vocabulary, being able to share their feelings rather than act out their feelings. And so by reflecting what you're seeing, you are building their emotional vocabulary and, and we're, we're teaching them um, that emotions are okay. Right. It's not, oh, don't be mad at him or you shouldn't feel that way. It's their feelings. Right. Right. And I have an example. Uh, When my children were little, I. uh, My oldest daughter had been wanting to take a bath with her baby sister. And finally, baby sister got big enough to sit in the bathtub. (laughs) So we told her, hey, you can get in the bathtub with your baby sister. Well. She was back in a room, kind of dawdling, and we called and called. And finally, when she got into the bathroom, baby was being pulled out by mom because they were done. And my daughter started 
hooping, hollering, <laughs> crying, Not upset, happy. Not unhappy. Happy. And I did what they were telling me to do in my psychology courses. Mm. I did what we've been talking about, reflected back. Honey, you really wanted to take a bath with your baby sister. And you're very sad and mad. And she said, yeah. <laughs> and then I said, you really, really, really wanted to, but she's through with her bath. And by this time, she's stepping into the bathtub, which <laughs> is what we needed her to do. And yep. she was calm yep. and played in her bathtub. Now, she not every hurt. kid is going to do that. Right. right. Um, yep. We have a yep. lot of parents who come in and their kids just are not calming down. But, you know, that is, I think, a vital key. And that was back in the early days when we just thought that was a good thing to do. I think now what we're saying is it is changing the brain of the child in positive ways right. so that they, they can learn how to handle those emotions and learn to regulate. Right. That Absolutely. I would add to that. We, we tend to do too much talking as parents. Oh, good. Yeah. Right. We tend to go into fix-it mode. We tend to go into solving the problem, letting them know, you know, there's another way to see this. And I think initially kids just need to be heard. You know, yeah. when, when I first got married, um, I would come home with a, with a work problem and share to my husband and he would go into problem solving. You should email your boss or you should do this, do that. And, you know, he, he forgot that he was married to a psychologist <laughs> and, and quickly learned that what I needed from him, from him was just to listen, just to let me vent, just to let me share and, and, you know, often I want him to just nod and agree. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's a human thing. When someone yes. is struggling with something, we want to help. Uh, my, my youngest daughter is so much like that, and I appreciate it. She was the kind of kid that when we came in with loads of groceries, can I help? Can I help? <laughs> um, if she saw a homeless person on the street, we got to help them. We got to help them. That's her immediate response. Mm -hmm. And I think... All of us have that feeling of, mm -hmm. I want to help, but help. sometimes, like you said, mm -hmm. it's a time to listen. It's a time it, to listen. Uh, uh, there's a favorite saying that I, I have kind of latched on to. Most people listen to respond mm -hmm. rather than listen to understand. Absolutely. So how do you do that? How do you listen to understand? You know, it's, it's really, again, reflecting those feelings it's using your eye language. I'm hearing you say it is letting them speak. We, we don't have to, to jump in. If they need to vent, let them vent. And then it's reflecting what you hear. I am hearing that you're really angry because little brother takes your toy and you don't think I help you. Yeah. They feel heard. Again, just by feeling heard and understood, we're going from that reactivity to that responsivity, which is where we need them to, to get to. I love that answer, too, because it also speaks to the reality of what's going on in their head. You're not helping. 
you're supposed to be doing something, mom. Right. Dad, why aren't you doing something? This isn't fair. All those thoughts are going on in their head right. too. It's not right. fair. Right. And you're acknowledging that that's in their head. Too many times, of course, it's very easy to get defensive. I mean, we're human, we're people. Yep. And people get defensive and parents can get defensive of too. Of course, of course. So how do we uh, respond to what they are thinking and mm -hmm. feeling at that point? And to be honest with the truth that that's what they're thinking. Right. Now, that may not be the truth about what's happening, but right. yeah. So I, I think that's mm -hmm. very, very good. Um, so really trying to show understanding is just pausing is pausing and making sure by maybe even speaking back to them mm -hmm. with language what it is that they are saying and and putting that back out there mm -hmm. i had a professor who was fantastic uh dr gary landreth and that guy said we need to be uh listening with our eyes right. listen with your eyes so how do you do that mm -hmm. You know, I, I want to back up one one sure. minute if we can. Um, I, I was thinking about, you know, in these interactions and and how we you know can connect and and how we can reflect those feelings and empathize. But I was thinking an important part of I think discipline is is taking a step back and considering, you know, not only what we as parents want the child to learn. Um, but, but even further back, considering the why of uh -huh. the behavior, right? I think sometimes we make assumptions. We, we think that, um, my, my kiddos, you know, always struggled with homework after school, right? Uh -huh. I mean, such a, such a battle and, you know, it, it would become, you know, just a, a power thing and they didn't want to do it. And I felt like, you know, if they were coming in from school, they still were in school mode and that was the best time to do it. And, right. you know, lots of, and lots the brain's of, getting tired and the brain's getting tired. Well, and, and I think that's exactly the point, you know, when I took a step back and, and really looked at why are they pushing back so hard on, on doing 10 minutes worth of homework, you know, sometimes we have to consider there may be other things going on rather than a kiddo just not wanting to comply. Right. Right. I, I like the acronym uh, HALT. You know, is it is the child maybe hungry? Oh. Are they angry? Are they lonely? Are they tired? Right. Right. When I took that step back and realized my kid just needs a snack. Oh, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he needs 30 minutes of a brain break because he's tired. Right. And the snack also will re-stimulate and reinvigorate that brain, particularly with tons of sugar. People. <laughs> no, um, not sugar, yeah. but uh, of course, fruit would be excellent for the brain. Um, right. right. Maybe something fun. Just taking a break and realizing that it's not a battle over getting the homework done. There's a reason that, you know, a kiddo may be, may be struggling and sometimes it's not as obvious and, and we need to consider, you know, the why of the behavior and, right. and then consider how we're going to go about addressing the, so, the behavior. Okay. 
This brings me to a question that I think may be on the minds and hearts of a lot of people. Are we talking about coddling the child, spoiling the child, uh, creating a monster mm. who is going to be a narcissistic, terrible, no good adult because they were just coddled? So what about that? And how do we balance that with what we're talking about? Right. And I hear that a lot from, you know, more old school, right, uh, parents of, you know, when I'm trying to teach this model, you know, we're just spoiling or we're, we're, we're not there. There should be consequences. And I think what we're talking about is, is not spoiling or not uh, giving consequences, right? Um, what we're talking about, there there should be consequences to misbehavior. Okay, all right. Absolutely, there should be. And I think what what we have to understand is we need to be consistent, but not rigid. Good, yeah. We need to have rules in place, but we also as parents need to be flexible in knowing if our kiddo is is having a tantrum because they're tired, right. that we may not be able to get that bath in that night. We may have to do it in the morning. Yeah. It 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 is being flexible in our parenting, but also knowing that that rules are important, and you know we we have to learn um, the right and wrong. And there may be some consequences. And coming. there may be some consequences um, coming now. We'll be talking about that at a later date, about consequences and what we can do about that. But, um, you know, so really, we're not talking about coddling the child. It's really about trying to understand where that child is coming from and communicating to the kid that we understand. And I like to even use the word, I understand. Uh I get it. That's understandable. And a lot of times it is understandable when we put ourselves in the shoes of our child. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we have so many things that reflect that kind of attitude, but it's hard (sighs) instinctively. And if we were raised in a particular way, we are going to instinctively go to that way is my opinion. I could be wrong, but and I also know that I wanted to do things a little bit differently. And I think I did succeed in some ways, but I'm still learning a lot. There, mm-hmm. There's hope if you're old. <laughs> you, will, you will still be able to grow mentally. But um, what, is, what does the parent do when, well, the parent gets tired. It gets frustrating when you have a screaming kid. Mm-hmm. And it just seems so logical that all you need to do is get in the bathtub. What do you do to harness yourself? And should you be harnessing yourself? Is it okay to blow up? We're human. We are human. And, you know, as much as, you know, we can have lots and lots of tools in our toolbox, sometimes, sometimes we lose it. Sometimes, you know, we make mistakes. Again, going back to the very beginning, kiddos' brains are changing and are changeable. We can teach in those moments of of missteps on our part. Oh, good. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So you're saying be upfront when you've blown it. 
when you blow it, you be upfront. You own it. You're teaching, you know, how you, when you make mistakes, you apologize. You let the kid know that you're human, that, you know, sometimes, um, you know, kids, they need to see that. They need to see that, that we're, we're human. We make mistakes. Um, and, and then we, you know, shift and, and, you know, try to do things differently. Yeah. You know, that's part of, of parenting. I've always felt that, you know, we do have parents that come in and they're wanting, they're coming into our clinic. Uh, it's our, uh, and, and when they come in, they are saying they never take responsibility for their actions. Right. And of course, and we all know this, but modeling, have they seen it modeled right. where we are up front courageously, uh, boldly, taking responsibility for our own actions and behavior when we've blown it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a lot for a kid to realize that mom blew it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a lot for a kid to realize that dad blew it. Right. Uh, they know that. And when you acknowledge it, of course, that begins bringing peace to the brain of the child. I mean, they're not going to be going into life with distorted thinking. And that's going to be important as well. We don't want distortions as they move into adulthood. As far as um, moving on from the initial attempt to understand, what comes next? I mean, will that invariably bring down the emotions of the child and help them to start regulating? You know, it, it is really dependent on the situation. I think, you know, kids have great recall. And if a kiddo is not able to have that, I like to use a lot of sports metaphors. My boys are very athletically minded and, and sports are kind of part of our life. And, and I, I always think about having the post-game talk. You know, right during the game, you know, it's going on and you're just kind of dealing with the plays. Um, it's it's And there afterward. could be a lot of emotions in and the middle of the game. could be a lot of emotions in the middle of the game. It's not the time necessarily for processing and reflecting and considering and we need to shift and do this. It may need to come later when yeah. the game's over. Yep. And for a kiddo, that could be 30 minutes later. It could be the next day. Yeah, absolutely. It could yeah. be on the car ride home from school the next day. Is that important? Is that another important step when there's been an issue and the kid has erupted and maybe mm -hmm. we felt like erupting on the inside, but we managed ourselves and we listened and understood. Is it important to have that kind of processing work going on and why it, it's it's really critical if we're using the model of of discipline meaning teaching right mm -hmm. discipline not just compliance in the short term but again wanting long-term learning and growth and changing that brain having that time to process and reflect when the child is responsive when you are responsive yes is critical and it doesn't have to be a, a, a 30 minute conversation, right? Again, we tend to, you know, we often talk more than we need to. We go into lecture mode. We have to be very conscious of the how 
how we are having that conversation, um, not in a punitive necessarily or a, you know, you did this wrong, um, but in a collaborative sort of process. We want to, we want the kid to be thinking about, you know, gosh, that was, that was a big one. That was, that was a, not a great situation. I don't know. What do you think? What could I have done differently? What could you have done differently? What can we do next time to prevent something like this from happening again? I like that. You know, I've always been a big believer that what we need to do is help them process, but I'm in agreement with you that we need to, to look at the timing of that. Mm -hmm. Because if they're in the middle of a lot of emotion, there is no use in doing it. And I learned that as a school teacher, that when the kid is calmed down, mm -hmm. then we can talk about it. Yeah. Come, let us reason together. Right. You know, that's when we can do it. But I love what you said too, that you baby don't give answers and lecture. Mm -hmm. It's stimulating questions that the child responds to with language. Now, when you're first starting that, I'm a believer that it may take two minutes and that's all they can handle. Mm -hmm. Maybe the next time you do that, they can handle three minutes mm -hmm. of processing mm -hmm. using language. But asking those questions, mm -hmm. honey, what were you thinking about when that happened? Not what were you thinking, but mm -hmm. what were you mm -hmm. thinking about? Mm -hmm. What were you feeling during that time? What were you... Uh, thinking that I felt. Mm -hmm. What do you think your mom felt when that was happening? We're trying to build, I think, what's called outside, right. not inside, but what's going on in other people Absolutely. and what's the impact on them? What's happening inside them? Because we're not just robots mm -hmm. bumping around with each other. We're actually people and we have an impact on each other so mm -hmm. that would be what i would consider social skill development Absolutely. is uh, being able to think with you and i also love what you said dr zach about looking at it from a problem solving what can we do differently mm -hmm. What, what's mm -hmm. next? Mm -hmm. Helping them to come up with some solutions mm -hmm. and some thinking mm -hmm. and some thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's so helpful. Do you, do you agree with that? Absolutely. You know, and I love even, um, you know, kid, kids often know, right? They, they, they know what we are likely to say. And so even using that, you know, what do you think I'm going to say about what happened? Yeah, yeah. Like, what do you think I'm going to say about maybe what we should do next time? Getting them, you know, again, to problem solve, to think, to reason, to empathize. I mean, these are all part of, of that growing brain that, you know, we're trying to, to train and mold and shape and, you know, and it's good a, human beings. It's a two-way communication then. It's not just the parent teaching. Because that is true. Uh, as parents, we have a, a need to be teaching and training and educating, but sometimes we get into that step first. Right. What do you think about asking the child about what should happen as a result of their behavior? 
because uh, one of the things that I'm a big believer in is that is the child learning that it's not bad mama, mm-hmm. bad daddy, mm-hmm. bad teacher, bad. I am responsible for what befalls me. So what do you think about consequences and even talking to the child about what should be the result of what happened? Well, I know that we're going to continue this conversation and get more into consequences and, and kind of, you know, next steps. But, you know, it's, it's been my experience that if, if you're able to get the child to be a collaborative participant in, in how we, where we go from here, um, they, they tend to be much more responsive to those consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, often, you know, I would, I would let my kids tell me what they think their punishment should be. And they would be very creative and often might be even a step beyond what I might have, have suggested as a consequence. And that was always interesting to me when, you know, well, I think that I probably need to, you know, that sounds like a good idea. (laughs) Um, and so, you know, I think having those conversations, letting them be a part of, you know, talking through, you know, next steps is, is very helpful for a child. Well, you know, it's, it's very easy with, with consequences, uh, you know, for the kid to go two ways. Kids <laughs> tend to be all or nothing, black and white, and they're thinking, and right. us adults can do that too. But uh, from one side of the game, it would be, well, I think that I will um, just not do it again. <laughs> to the opposite end, mm-hmm. which you're talking mm-hmm. about, which is uh, you need to, to ground me from my phone <laughs> for three months, you know, mm-hmm. where it's way too much. Right. And then as the adult, we can help God. guide the process of maybe what the consequences should be. Well, yep. I think we are getting out of time and we are so glad to have you here, Dr. Oh, Zach. It's my you pleasure. Shed some amazing insight into working with kids. It's obvious that you have a lot of <laughs> personal, personal experience, experience in that. Absolutely. And it's very it's very helpful to not only have the knowledge and the psychological understanding, but then also the experience too. And so we really appreciate your time here and coming here today. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. We appreciate you tuning in and we will be doing some more. We'll be looking at other things that are important in terms of the ingredients of parenting and how to help the child grow and develop well and have that future that will be uh, making them very strong, courageous and resilient people dealing with the ups and downs that everyone has to face. And we want them to have that kind of strength. So thank you for being in here with us today. Uh, We look forward to sharing more on all kinds of subjects having to do with parenting.